Trauma is trauma is trauma for all people. You don't have to be a combat veteran. You don't have to be a first responder. Um, but we see in the world how, again, I always think of it in terms of relationship. We see how bad people can be to each other. That's hard for all human beings in every culture in the world. And we're all wired in a way to be safe and protect ourselves to survive. from functional to flourishing. Friends, get ready today to hear not only the technical, but also the relational aspects of PTSD. Today we have Dr. Joshua Kraymeyer, who is on our James Trail board. We're so thankful to have him here today. He has such a wealth of information. He is a professor in the Master's in Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program at Colorado Christian University in Denver, Colorado. He's also a licensed professional counselor, a licensed marriage and family therapist. He also has served in the U.S. Army. He is multilingual. He's served in outpatient clinics, private practice, residential drug and alcohol programs, and is a family therapist with the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. He has done a ton of advocacy work Um, in the United States and in Ukraine for mental health services, just taking care of military veterans and their families. So please join us for some great information and hopefully can create great conversations for healing in your area as well. Welcome, Dr. Joshua Kramer. We are so excited to have you today on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. So there's so many things we could talk about because your expertise uh, spans the horizon. (laughs) So many years of different things that you've done and experiences you've had. We definitely want to hear more about your work in Ukraine. And there's just so many different things we could talk about. But the first thing I want to do is for you to just do maybe a just a couple minute intro to like maybe your connection with James Trail or why you decided to join the board or um, yeah just something something like that. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so I got connected uh, through you through a mutual friend. Um, learning about uh, the vision that you had, that God had given you for um, trauma-informed care, helping people, some of these general ideas. And it's like, okay, that that caught my attention. And we met, right, for, I think, coffee, breakfast. And I knew right away, you know, my discernment told me, like, this is something important. Um, I had been praying about ways to be more connected with uh, resources for people in a general sense to help limit and uh, mitigate the impact of trauma in the world. Every, every all of my clinical work uh, over 15 years now, um, I just see so much through that lens of trauma that I feel like many symptoms and diagnoses and struggles we have in life are connected to traumatic experiences. So 
um, being on the board uh, as a board member, that's what I wanted to do was, was help however I could. And here I am. I just, I will never forget our, our meeting, our coffee, because the whole drive all the way up to the coffee shop, I was just praying the whole time, Lord, let him say yes, Lord, let him say yes. I barely knew you, but I knew enough of you. And as soon as I sat down and like you were all in and I was all in, it was just such a beautiful moment. And you've provided some amazing wisdom and leadership for us. And and here we are on a podcast together. Yes. And so we get to um, take some of the things that you have done for the world and that God has shown you and and share. And so I'm really excited to do that. And so my first question for you, kind of unrelated to trauma, but who knows, <laughs> is if you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? That is an incredible question. I My, my first thought, if I, if I may, <laughs> I, I always think about that with people in general that I always tell clients, people I work with uh, professionally, I'm like, I want to help you find what your superpower is and how to use it for good in the world. I think that's part of God's plan for us all, too. He created us all with some purpose and trauma and all the bad things in life, they block us from that. So anyhow, I wanted to share that piece. But my superpower, beyond just helping people heal as however I can through whatever they've experienced, um, if I could wish for one that I don't have, it would be to, I think, impart wisdom in people. Like if I could be talking to someone and say, boom, mm. and like get you to, not get you, I don't like, that sounds forceful, but influence you where you would get what I'm saying. Like you would understand it, you know, because I feel like we hem and haw around like, what do you really mean with communication? And it's like, I want to be real. I want to get mm. to the real stuff quick. And I feel like life's so short. You know, we say, how are you doing? And people are always like, fine. And in counseling, we say that stands for feelings inside yeah. not expressed. It's like, no, what's really going on? And that's... Ooh, so if I could imp- I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah. So if I could impart that in people where it's like, look, live your life. Don't Don't get lost looking into the stars. You know, there's things to do. But like, if I could help people get and understand and impart that, that wisdom... Um, I guess that's what comes up for me. That makes some sense. That's so noble. And I am honored by your answer. Um, My answer to that question changes from day to day. Uh And my answer today was going to be that I could, I I just got back in town um, last night. So I'm feeling a little tired. So my answer was going to be that I could press a button and be all rested up, mm. which is 100% selfish. <laughs> so yeah, but, your answer is way more noble, yeah, but I would noble ch- I, I and would, I appreciate well, it. Well, thank you for that. But I would gently challenge that because if you're rested, then you're more able to do the thing God has called you to do. So I think there's a noble thank you, undertone Josh. to that. Yeah. Like we need to take care of ourselves too. That's not because, because of a point that I always make is self-care is not selfish. It's necessary. It's one of the things that I'm fond of saying. So please. Wonderful response. Yes. And and we can all sense the therapist in you. And thank you for that. <laughs> I can't help we need it. It's that. who I am. We yeah. definitely need that. Good. I, I have all the respect, trust me. Uh, so one of the things we're going to talk about today, that something that a lot of people have questions around is PTSD. 
And so I was wondering if you would give us just some foundational, just have some foundational questions, just like, first of all, could you define it? And some, some basics like that that we'll follow up through. Absolutely. So starting with a little bit of the clinical or formal definition, but I'll try to put it in, you know, not, not too formal of language. So it's psychobabble. Um, but tra- uh, PTSD is a diagnosis given when you meet enough of the criteria of the symptoms. So if you have uh, um, a response to something difficult or traumatic, and I'll explain that in a second, um, you can have different symptoms or impact, right, to your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors. Um, and a diagnosis of a disorder just means that you have enough of them mm, clustered together to say it's, it's a word we use to understand. You have enough symptoms, right, to have this disorder. Um, but it's related to trauma, and the trauma is a um, physical trauma is a break in the boundary of our body, like doctors call physical trauma, breaking a bone, breaking your skin, and mental health trauma, um, psychological trauma, the way we frame that is kind of the breaking of a boundary of uh, between two people um, that you've seen. The, the specific definition is you've seen or experienced um, a real or perceived threat to your life. It's some experience that um, somebody either said, hey, if you tell anybody, I will kill you, or you've witnessed actual life or death um, experiences, and then how do you respond to that? What does your mind, body, and spirit do to try to cope with what you've witnessed or experienced? But there's, that's, uh, let me just, if I could, just one more minute here. The capital T trauma is that. So if you spell trauma with a capital letter T, life or death, and that's what's in the the book, the DSM, the diagnostic book we use, um, that it's a, a threat to your life. However, what we know is that other events in life also cause the same mind-body-spirit response if our um, integrity is threatened, if somebody makes fun of us, uh, like some of my early trauma. When I was in kindergarten, a girl made fun of me for drawing something on the board, and I felt very threatened, and I learned that I don't have a voice. I started to believe about myself. I don't have a voice. So that was an early small T trauma, which is not necessarily life or death, but it's still, it's an experience that teaches us that the world is not a safe place. And it's always in relation to a person in some way, a person doing something to us or someone else. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're bringing up the big T, little T piece. This is something that we've covered in some of our social media and some of our um, other content. And that is, um, as you said, the big difference between big T trauma and little T trauma. Um, and, you know, the DSM can define it in whatever way. Um, I, I feel like that's not how I like to talk about it, though, because as you're saying, it implies that one kind of trauma is worse or easier than another kind of trauma. And I think, number one, the less we can compare each other's trauma, the better. Yes. And number two, the more we can step away from those kind of definitions and just look at, at the situation and say, you know, what's important is how it hits. That's right. You know, um, for some kids in that moment, some 
girl could have made fun of them and they'd have moved on or not heard it. That's but right. like in that moment, it, it hit for you. It, it was did. painful. And um, I love that you you recognize that and that you you know that was a sentinel moment for you where you heard the message, I don't have a voice. And I agree. I don't think we should be comparative in that way at all. Trauma is trauma is trauma for all people. Sure. You don't have to be a combat veteran. Right. You don't have to be a first responder. Um, but we see in the world how, again, I always think of it in terms of relationship. We see how bad people can be to each other. And that's that's hard. That's hard for all human beings in every culture in the world. And we're all wired in a way to be safe and protect ourselves to survive, right? God made us that way. So all of the responses we have serve a purpose. And it doesn't mean we're weak or less than if those symptoms kind of overwhelm us. It just means maybe we didn't have uh, the resources or resilience built up to insulate us from the impact because two people can go through the same experience, like you said, and one comes out okay and the other struggles a little bit more. That's what it is. It's a normal response to an abnormal situation. Um, and different people respond differently, but we're all wired for it. Even the people that make it through one situation, there's something else that can knock us down, make us feel less than, make us feel like we don't have a voice, that we can't trust the world um, to be safe. Yeah. So uh, one question that I, I know a lot of people have, and actually Zach, our producer, was one that, that brought this question up, is, is there something that predisposes us to PTSD? Is it genetics? Is it environment? Yes. How does, how does that work? That is a great, great question. And I'm going to uh, give context. I'm going to share a brief uh, funny point. There's the some people that have studied psychology know there's these terms nature or nurture. And that's just a way to summarize a genetic right. predisposition or is it more related to the influences we have, like parental influence, teachers, friends? Do we learn it from our environment or are we born with it? And the easy answer is both. And the joke, the joke we say sometimes is that nature or nurture, either way, it's your parents' fault. And that is not true at all. <laughs> that please, if you're listening, that's a joke. Um, but we do learn <laughs> first from our first school, right? However, we're raised. And it's not in a way to blame or get stuck in focusing on our parents and playing kind of the victim role. That That is often not helpful in the long run to help us move through things. But it is helpful in understanding it, that there are some genetic predispositions that can set some people up, you know, to have less tolerance of stress physically, right? Where your body is just more sensitive to certain things. Anything from a drug using parent to a parent who never allows the child to experience stress, protects them from everything. And then they get more, they're more likely to get overwhelmed with things if they haven't had that experience. Also neglect things like this. Um, so one of the links uh, that I, I think we'll be sharing here is for the Adverse Childhood Experiences Scale, and it's a large study that Kaiser Permanente did, um, and they, they found this correlation and connection so between physiological disorders of adults with what they call adverse childhood experiences, which is also trauma. Difficult things from neglect to abuse um, to anything, and they know now that it's both. It's 
some genetic things, but also some of our environmental factors. And then it's coupled with resiliency factors. Resiliency factors would be, you can go through these tough things, but do you have social support? Do you have, uh, you know, good diet, nutrition? Uh, are you getting good sleep? Anything that's beneficial and builds you sure. up can offset the impact and makes you less likely to have a significant reaction to traumatic things. So the more resiliency factors you have, the more insulated you are from the impact of difficult things. But we all have a threshold. It can all be pushed through and, and the trauma builds over life. You start with early experiences and throughout your life, if you don't deal with them adequately, it doesn't go away. We just stuff it down and it's still there. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say are key points. Yeah, I'm so glad you're bringing up ACEs and the ACEs test, I think is such a powerful tool. Um, it is. There's actually an ACEs conference coming up. It's in California. It is in uh, in April, I believe, and I'm going to try to get there. But uh, it's such a powerful tool in how we – it's been used often in doctor's offices and in clinics um, for – you know, medical help for, you know, emotional support, the key, and this is, this may be my bias, but I would encourage our listeners not to, to take the test unless you can, are willing to access resources after you've taken the test, because I think it's, what can be really negative is when, um, you know, clinics or, providers will offer this test. It's a 10 question test. And it, when you get to the end of it, it seems really clear whether or not you've experienced some hard things in childhood, adverse childhood experience. ACE is what that stands for. So when you see the results of your test, it, it, that itself can be very challenging yeah. to hear. And so it's important to follow that up with, okay, so what's the next step? I couldn't agree more. Do I need to get into therapy? Do I need to be in group? Do I need who, you know, who's my community? Am I part of a body of faith? You know, that kind of thing. And um and now ACEs are very directly correlated to understanding PTSD and all of that. So I I love that you're that you're bringing this up. And um have you used ACE the ACE testing in your practice? I do. I do. It's a regular thing that I use to, um, it's a tool that is neutral, right? It's just a piece of paper or something you could do online and it gives you this right. result. Um, but I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying that that result, having some assistance, interpreting it and applying it to yourself and the knowledge is good, but it can also weigh you down. If you don't have some assistance, it's better to walk with someone through it that kind of understands it can help kind of articulate and apply some of the things and maybe even make a plan, right, to help deal with some of um, that impact uh, from hearing it, learning it. It's, a, it's the first step, the awareness and the knowledge and insight of that you gain from that. Sure, sure. And some of those adverse childhood experiences that might come up on the test may have hit you harder than someone else. And yes. so the relevance is, you know, how does it hit? 
How did you interpret that based on, like you said, your resources and your resilience that was available in the moment? So here's a question, Josh. If I have had, if I've experienced trauma, do I have PTSD? Can you help our listeners understand kind of the difference and how to separate those two? Yeah, that's that's a great, great question. And to clarify some of that, <clears throat> to endure trauma or something traumatic does not equate, does not equal PTSD at all. Um, clinically, the, the psychology language of it is that as a human, if you're experiencing something life-threatening, such as let's say you witness an auto accident where there's some injuries, you will, again, in every culture in the world, every human being, you will have a, a, at least a physiological response to what you see. Um, we call these fight, flight, freeze. Uh, there's also a response called tend or befriend. I've heard it called that. It's kind of a uh, response, but it's our central nervous system either kicking up so we can act, giving us extra adrenaline to um, either save a life or right to help our, ourselves survive. All the blood goes from our brain down into our muscles so we can either fight something off or act in some way. Mothers who, there's videos of a car rolling back towards a child and a mother can lift up a car all by herself with the adrenaline and that fight, flight, or freeze, the threat to her child's life. Um, you know, mama bear and the cubs, we all know that rule of nature. Uh, but anyhow, different responses. And some people have a numb or a, a freeze response. And even that in nature, right, out and about, animals have this same wiring uh, by the way, they just don't have rational thought like we do, which is part of why we get stuck sometimes. The way we think about what happened can be part of the problem, part of it. But anyhow, that physiological response, uh, everybody's going to have some level of that. There is an acute response or an immediate response. Most people get through that, and we rebound from that naturally. Even from combat. I know statistics and data, a lot of this data from combat uh, veterans. I've worked at the VA for several years, uh, not anymore, but uh, when I did, I studied a lot of this. And they say 70 to 80% of returning combat veterans um, do not get PTSD. I start with that because people will say, well, 20 to 30% will get PTSD. Yeah. But that means that 70 to 80% of people going to combat, ongoing, horrific traumatic experiences, multiple that compound that make it more likely to have a, a physical and long-term impact and, and a mental impact, um, they still, there's resilience built within us. We are kind of wired for that to keep moving on in some way. We have a constant temperature in our bodies and our bones heal back together and they grow stronger when they grow back together. So mentally, we have some mm, wiring for that too, where we always find ways to keep moving forward, to still be vertical, to not give up. Does it mean that things are perfect or good? No. Even if you don't have the disorder, you can still have some of the symptoms. You can have trouble sleeping. You could be on alert or what we call hypervigilant. You could have one or two of those things, or you could have all of them. And if you have enough Again, if you have enough symptoms, if you have hypervigilance, trouble sleeping, you re-experience images and thoughts and feelings from that traumatic experience over and over. That's another hallmark symptom. If you have all of these together, 
that's when we would say you have the disorder. And it's just a way of helping us as helpers and the client or patient, the person we're working with, helping us all understand like, okay, it's significant enough. And if you meet the criteria for the disorder, then we know that there's um, protocols or studied um, ways to help people work through it. There are clinically effective strategies for working through it. And you don't have to have the disorder to do some of those techniques either, but it definitely helps us understand we should consider some of these approaches in helping. So if I come up on an accident and there's, you know, clearly injuries and I'm driving past it and I can see the injured person, I keep driving and that night I have a nightmare and then it just starts to reel in my head and it just starts to get worse and worse and worse. And then a week later, I'm kind of reliving it. And then a month later, I'm kind of reliving it. Is that PTSD or is that just processing what I saw? That can be a sign of PTSD. The the timeline that uh, they use, right, that we've studied, that we know that within 30 days for most people, if, um, if you have... Uh, not ongoing traumas or if there's not other traumas, if it's just the car accident and then you can get back to life, you have your home, you have your job, you're not in between jobs, the more difficult or stressful things you have going on or other traumas, um, if you don't have those, the statistics show us, everything we study about humans shows us that most people, the, the significant majority, well, bounce back within 30 days. That's kind of a rough uh, timeline. But if it goes beyond sure. that 30-day mark, and again, if you're taking care of yourself, if you are um, you have a, a calm and safe home environment, if there's not domestic violence in the home, the more stress or traumatic experiences too, both of those ideas are helpful in understanding. The more of those you have, the more likely you are to potentially develop either more symptoms or the diagnosis, right? Where you have enough of the problems, the symptoms. Um, so, but yeah, if you had, and also what happened before the car accident, what leads up to that? Have you, uh, what is your relative quality of life overall? Do you have friends that you can count on? Do you have a faith community that's genuine and not bringing you down, but helping build you up in some way? The more, positive things you have before and after that experience, the less likely you are to develop. So if you do develop PTSD, right, it does, again, it does not mean less than, but it can tell us maybe you were missing uh, effective self-care strategies. Maybe that's something we need to focus on moving forward, right? And again, not a deficit, a, I, I call it a growth edge, you know, some way to grow. Um, hmm. you can't let people take that as a negative. You can do, if you're listening to this too, it's not a negative. Um, and I always tell people we're stronger together. We feel like we're stronger and we don't want to burden other people. We exactly. can lift more together. Think of it physically. If I can lift however much weight, how much can you lift? Well, if we're lifting together, right, we can, we could carry anything at Ikea, even the biggest Ikea boxes <laughs> or any other store. That requires a two-person right. two lift. Community is key. It is. 
Huge. Community is key. I want to go back to uh, something that you mentioned, and this is something we talk a lot about at James Trail and and in trauma-informed circles, is window of tolerance. And, you know, window of tolerance can be something, you know, basically it's, it's if the window's way open, the wind, the rain, metaphorically, can yes. get in and we're fine. If we need the window closed, or if our particular window of tolerance for that day is more closed, that's because we can't handle all the weather coming in. True. And the way the, the metaphor translates, as we know, is if I leave the house in the morning and, you know, maybe I have a teenager who yelled at me or um, I found something out about them or I found something on their phone or something that's really distracting me as a parent and then I show up at work... I'll have a smaller window of tolerance because I'm thinking about something else. I'm frustrated about something else. And then there's window of tolerance for a season. So say, for example, I'm in the middle of a divorce or which I'm not, but like, you know, pretend I'm in the middle of a divorce. And so in that season, I'm going to have a smaller window of tolerance. Right. And, uh, and so all those factors come together to where, as in our example, you know, I'm driving down the road and I see something traumatic on the side of the road. My window of tolerance impacts whether how I interpret that. Do I have the the resources and resilience, as you said, to say, "Wow, that was tough," and and you know, I'm a person of faith, so I would pray for the the family and the person and everyone involved and. And then sort of like move forward with my life? Or am I held back by something, seeing something like that visually? So yeah, I I love that you that you're bringing that up, because it has everything that impacts us, you know, is filtered through our, our window of tolerance. And so our goal, of course, is to open up our, our window of tolerance. It is. For example, when I got home yesterday uh, from a long day of traveling, my window of tolerance is pretty small. And so although I'm an Enneagram 7, I'm very extroverted and I love to be with people, uh, although it would be my natural bent to call people and say, hey, what's up, let's get together, I knew my window of tolerance was pretty small and really what I needed was just like, Rest, stillness, quiet, have some dinner, chill, go to bed. That's right. And so my goal a lot of times is to, okay, where's my window of tolerance right now? What do I need today? And what's going to help me to to face, you know, the next day or the next thing that's going to hit me, right? That's right. But we have to be mindful and know personally when we've had too much and then what we need to recharge. Um, I know as a parent, right, you probably relate, you get home at the end of the day, you recognize I'm done. But what happens is sometimes we'll think, right, as a parent, I should uh, go to all the children, make sure they're all okay. I should make dinner. I should finish the laundry. I should think, uh, should. And there's this thought that can make push us past that line and make it worse and, and increase the, the stress load and shatter the window of tolerance, you know, where you're like, I'm done. And instead of right. managing it, then we, we say mean things, hurtful things. Um, one of my daughters, my, my final thought, my daughter once said to me, a child of a therapist, I'm sure there's a support group for children of us as therapists. 
but she's she said to me she that's goes me i won it's like yeah yeah you know then she goes dad it's like you give and give to other people all day long and you come home and there's nothing left for us and i was like oh knife Ooh. to the heart but i did i had to recognize i mean i took that to heart literally it hurt my heart but then i said "Ooh, i'm going mm. i'm not prioritizing me enough it's not again not selfish it's necessary to function well in life as a parent as a brother as a sibling as a husband wife boyfriend girlfriend you know we get taken out of being the best version of ourselves by all of these processes you know we're not living our optimal life mm. which i would say is what god's plan is for all of us you know like and we all want that i think there's drive within all of us whether we know god or not to try to have a good life, do good things for ourselves and other people. But we get so busy right. surviving sometimes. That's what happens after trauma if we don't deal with it. We're so convinced that the world is dangerous and unsafe and people are unsafe and untrustable um, that we, and I think I just made up that word, untrustable, but you know, you know, we don't trust people. I love it. Go with we, it. <laughs> we survive and we don't thrive. We don't find a way to you know, again, be the best version of ourselves. I'm so guilty of being that parent that oh, yeah. comes Me in too. after a long day and wants to attend to everybody first. And it was it's probably after my kids have, have grown that I've realized, oh, maybe I should go take a minute <laughs> to just like breathe yes. and prepare myself to be the best mom in these moments. But Yes. I, I, I am a slow learner at, at those kinds of things. Something else you said reminded me, one, uh, one particular birthday, um, and, and birthdays can be fun and they can be hard too, you know, for some of us. I was somewhere, I was even celebrating with some people and we were getting something out of the trunk. And I don't know if it was just cold or what, but somehow I, I jammed my finger as I was closing the trunk. I almost started crying oh, yeah. right there. And it wasn't that painful. You know what I mean? I, I think it was, you know, the emotional response of like the pain hitting me and having no reserves already being a little sensitive because of the season that I was in. And so I stub my finger yep. and I start crying. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was just like this thin veil, you know, between uh being okay and not being okay that's you right know? well and we we need to allow ourselves those moments too yeah where we hit we hit or cross over that threshold how much can we handle the things you do to prepare yourself before things happen are part of getting better um but then also in the present moment regardless of what's happened in the past you have to sometimes prepare yourself. You also have to process what's happened, right? Things, traumatic events that have happened in the past still echo through our experience. Our body, our mind, and our spirit can still think and feel and react in certain ways because we haven't worked through the past to be present enough so that I can sit down and listen to and hear my wife over dinner instead of being triggered, uh, right? Elevated in my experience that I'm not having fight, flight, or fright, fight, flight, or fight from something in the past. And I see someone walk in the door that I don't trust or something about them. Well, then I'm not there for my wife. I'm not building quality in our relationship, right? If I haven't dealt with it. 
Does it mean that I have to be perfect? No. Right. Does it mean that I have it all together? No, I still struggle some. I have moments when my threshold is down for that day. But now I know enough to recognize and say, you know what? I need to go for a run. I need to just sit. Um, I think so much right now, um, I'm going to throw, uh, it's a Bible verse, but it sticks to me so much. There's several places in the Bible where God says, be still and know that I'm God. And there's a comma in mm. there. And I keep getting transfixed on that. Be still. And there's a comma. And for, so for me, so much of self-care is that. We're so overstimulated today uh, with all the different lights, media, notifications. These are things that kind of elevate us and they keep us from pausing. They, 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 they complicate us healing, you know, because we do need to have a break. Um, even God rested on the seventh day, if you know the story of creation, right? Are we better than God? Do we do we not need that also? Um, even the trees rest. Even what we see in nature and creation, right? They they rest in the winter. They grow back stronger. Um, so finding ways to be calm and unstimulated in the present moment are some of the most powerful things you can do, no matter what kind of impact difficult things in your life have had on you. Finding ways to just be safe, secure, calm, grounded. It's deceptively simple. So many of the things, actually breathing deep, diaphragm breathing, breathing in as deeply as you can, pausing at the top, and then pushing all of the air out of your lungs, like as deeply as you can go without hurting yourself, is probably the most powerful kind of stress and trauma insulating thing we can do. Um, and we forget sometimes and people will, I know, cause I do work with people all the time and they say, yeah, yeah, I get it. Breathing. You're going to do some breathing with me. I'm reminded all the time when I can see it in people, they're agitated, they're tense. And then I say, let's, no, no, I want you to just do this. Like actually breathe deeply. You can't, you can't not be more relaxed and calm. If you do that deep breathing, you cannot, if you watch, if you have a smart watch and watch your heart rate. It will go down. You, you can't fight that. You can't right. push it away. Anyhow, so all those things help. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, so back to PTSD, Please. a question, another question that I have is, so, you know, in years past, decades past, we all, we as a society talked about PTSD as something that soldiers had, combat veterans have, have or had. But over, I would say the last decade or more, it's become more of a general term that we see that, you know, non-veterans, civilians, uh, adults, children, every country around the world have experienced can you talk a little bit about maybe either the difference between those two or the fact that they're very similar, which is why it's got a similar name and, you know, fits under the, the terminology PTSD? Yeah. So it is exactly the same. To be human and to experience something traumatic means that as a human, outside of culture, which military, I would kind of... Uh, suggest also as a culture. It's a subculture within our culture, right? So in America, you have, you have the culture means a language, 
We have different language in the military. We have different food we eat, a different way of being. So it's a subculture, right? But in any culture or subculture, you're human first, and we are made to have that response as a survival kind of mechanism. It serves a good purpose, right? To keep us alive. When somebody's shooting at me, I don't need to stop and think, hey, I wonder why they're shooting at me. I wonder if they want something. If, I, if I'm calm and rationally thinking, I may get shot. But if I, I need to react to survive, right? So it, it's, it's a good thing, ultimately. It's not bad. We can do amazing things. But because we have rational thinking and we have ways of thinking, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't still be having problems. These are some of the beginnings of, of the negative thought spiral that keeps us stuck in our symptoms, regardless of military service or not. Any traumatic experience has the potential to cause and lead to PTSD in any human. That's just, I believe that's probably the simplest way I could say it. However, you know, we did the history, the brief, brief, brief history. I teach a whole class on this, but the brief history is that after World War II, we started to study the impact of war more because so many people came back. You know, a higher percentage of our population in the U.S. and the West was serving. So instead of saying, hey, you're not getting shot at anymore, you're home, just get a haircut and get a real job, they realized everybody saw and saw more of it no, there's an impact. People are struggling, right? We should do something. Research, money, and resources started focusing on the military, but it spread to like our whole country in the U.S. and the West. So that mental health as we know it today, mental health care, is rooted in that history. And after Vietnam, then we studied it even more, another war. So it is tied to the military and war, this, this diagnosis. Because after, I think it was 1979, we said PTSD. They studied it and said it's not, where they were calling it before, shell shock, soldier's heart, battle fatigue. They had all these terms. Right. But then after Vietnam, it was PTSD. And then people said, okay, military, PTSD. Oh, what about other humans? We all, we all have this. And that's where it started. People started studying it, researching it. And yes, now it's even more, it's in TV shows. I think people on the street, you know, kind of a general sense of people understand a little bit and they use the term. Sometimes they throw it around too lightly. It is a very significant impediment to functioning well on a daily basis to have the diagnosis. Again, having symptoms or certain problems, probably the biggest one is just sleep because that's when our defenses go down, when our body and our mind is supposed to recharge our our ability to hold it in goes down and it comes out, right? If we haven't dealt with it. So that's probably, if I could say, one one of the most common ongoing problems can be that. Well, if you're having bad sleep, your anxiety is going to be worse. Your depression will be worse, whatever you had before. So is it PTSD? Maybe not, but an ongoing problem or response to something traumatic. So anyhow, the diagnosis is tied to military, but not not connected. It's now understood that anybody, any human in any culture, it's still, we're human first. So even the way it's worded, uh, like in English, in our DSM, in our book, it does apply cross-culturally. I've been doing work in Ukraine since 2015. So with that one other culture's example, it fits. 
all the people going through war there um, can have what, the same definition, right? The same responses, because it's a human, I think the definition of it is fairly human, right? Uh, universal in a sense. Uh, but also sure. people have had childhood sexual assault extremely. They've had generational trauma there with Soviet um, systems they've gone through and famines and horrific things. So they are very prone to the disorder. They've had more ongoing and a generational trauma, just no break. And they haven't had the mental health care to help either with it. They're starting to get that now. So I'd love to talk some about your work in Ukraine. What is something unique about PTSD and resiliency that you have noticed in your work in Ukraine? So one of the things, one of the primary things that I think I would, uh, what comes up for me is that in um, Slavic, Russian, Ukrainian, um, and post-Soviet kind of culture, so in Eastern Europe and that part of the world, and, and including Russia, there's this cultural idea that stoicism and holding it in is a very valued thing. Um, that you don't, you're weak if you share about your problems. You should endure because that's what I've had to do, right? It gets passed on from, you know, parent to child. And that's that's very, very strong in that culture, stronger than we have. In fact, there's a phrase they have, they call it kamenoya litso, which means stone face. And you see it and you feel it when you go to these places. And anybody that's ever traveled uh, there knows it. Like I am a uh, rooted in my, my American culture. I was born and raised. I was born in Minnesota, which is an extra friendly culture to begin with. They have a phrase called Minnesota nice, where people just smile on the street and say hello, um, even in the big cities. Um, but anyhow, I stick out like a sore thumb when I go to these places, other, other um, post-Soviet countries I've been in too, um, because everybody walks around and it looks like to the untrained eye, like people are kind of mean, rough, gruff, um, serious. Um, and so that is a cultural difference. Does it also come across as resilient? Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to get into that, that it, it's, um, yeah. they are more resilient in a way. And if I could, I'm going to make a, another, I'm going to preface this. So not everybody knows me, but my, my, my joke, um, that I will say the great theologian, um, Kelly Clarkson, she sings about this. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, and um, of course, just that wisdom from her song. And that's, it is true. Like you, they've built up a stress inoculation. They've learned to endure more. There's things that we might get stressed about in America. We might say, oh, the whip on my mocha laca frappuccino is not how I like it. And I'm making fun of our, our own culture there. But people get extra stress about some things that don't even bother them. You know, they're kind of like more resilient in that sense. However, they have never had, I would say not never, let me clarify that. They've not always had the opportunity or the belief that they would benefit from setting that burden down. So because the current war in Ukraine has been going on at least 10 years, by the way, they don't consider it a two-year thing. The invasion took place two years ago where massive troops, but they, yeah. they were, parts of their country were taken over 10 years ago. 
So if you ever talk to anybody from Ukraine, by the way, please honor and respect that. It's been 10 years of war for them. They're starting to break. Even that stoicism and that resilience, it's been more than normal. I feel like it has it, pushed them to their threshold. Very strong and resilient people that can handle and endure a lot, but it's pushed past that ability. There's, there all, there's many people, including the counselors and family therapists that I work with there. I'm actually trying to help them more because they're the ones helping people. So I'm trying to kind of minister to them and offer them treatment. Right. So, yeah, that's the primary thing. That's the first thing that comes to mind, the, the, the difference, and yeah. how it ties to resilience. I, I'm so thankful to know someone that is working in Ukraine because it helps me to feel connected to what's going on over there. And, um, you know, as a person of faith, I definitely am praying for you and for your work there. I also wanted to bring in faith uh, in terms of the the concept of PTSD. What role do you see faith having for PTSD? And I would go beyond that and even say, and trauma. So kind of putting those, I'm going to lump them both together first and just say, uh, my initial thought is that our faith and the practices of faith that we have can either be helpful or hurtful. The way we apply things God has taught us are either helpful or hurtful. God himself can do anything. If we believe in God, if we believe that God who created something, everything we know out of nothing, that's pretty amazing. Just starting from that idea, well then wouldn't he be able to like snap his fingers? If, if that's true, right? If we believe that, wouldn't that happen? So couldn't he reach in to our lives and heal us instantly? Absolutely. So when we are helping people from our faith, if, if I'm a lay person in the church that says, ooh, here's a combat veteran coming back from war, I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to pray, God, heal this person. Can God do that? Absolutely. But the problem is God also creates us with free will, and he wants us to grow in process sometimes. Sometimes he does that instant thing. But the problem is sometimes as people of faith, we force that, we push it, and we say the only way is through God and for me to pray, and you just don't believe in God enough. That, that, that's kind of a narrative that can happen and be harmful, that can, that can not help people, because God does sometimes allow bad things to happen, right? We all know, you know, children that die of cancer things, and we shake our fist at God, and thank God he has big enough shoulders for us to do that, right? Who are we to... And do that, but we do, and he still loves us. His grace covers all that. But I think as people trying to help, we can inadvertently sometimes hurt because we do have to pray. We should always pray. Spirituality and trusting in God should always be, I believe, if you're a person of faith, especially a good starting point. Start there. Ask God for wisdom and guidance and how to help and what what this specific person needs, because everybody needs different things. Not everybody needs the same resiliency factor. Some things don't work for some people. Some people aren't willing, ready, or able to right. try different things. Some people might say, mm, I go to an art group and that helps me get it out. That helps me work through it. Other people are like, yeah, I'm never going to, no, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. Okay, great. But everybody has something. So we pray about that. We pray for wisdom to guide us to what those things are. But trauma does impact us 
uh, to a spiritual level. There's a saying that they have in the military, there's no atheists in foxholes. When you see life and death, actual life and death so close up, the closest you can get to it, right? And sometimes every day and sometimes multiple times. Um, so part of healing from trauma can come in even better ways, more effective ways in a community. But I would suggest individually or like one-on-one -on -one with someone or in a group setting, if it's a healthy group setting, that spirituality absolutely has to be a piece of moving through trauma. You have to help people and you have to understand yourself, like, what do I need spiritually? Be angry at God, right? Turn to God, How, wherever you are in your journey, like, that's okay. He, he understands and it's not his plan. This is not the perfect world. We do have trauma. We do got the Garden of Eden. The God's original plan was not this. There was not these things happening. So what I hear you saying, Josh, is... Of course, if you're a person of, of faith, we pray. Of course, we want to spend time with God in this, uh, of course. But also, yes. it's about relationships, and those yes. relationships can come in many forms. Safe relationships, certainly we hope, but it's it's a community of people. And some That's people right. in that community may be family members, some may be friends, and some may be professionals. I believe that God gives us professionals to help us through these kinds of very big challenges in our life. And I'm a, I'm an advocate for everyone to be in therapy, you know, because of the immense value that it has. And so having that community of all different kinds of individuals really is what, what helps us through these things from trauma to PTSD. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is that correct? 100%. Thank you for summarizing that and tying those pieces together. It really is. And again, it doesn't matter where you go. I also am an advocate, of course, for, for reaching out to a counselor, a social worker. But I would add one piece to that, too. For those of you that may be saying, you know what? You're right. We are stronger together. And I could benefit. I would like to talk to somebody. The key is that you have a choice in that person. You need to know that you may not feel that right away. The most important thing is that you meet a person who you may be asking to help you professionally or even a friend, but take some time to see if you feel that with them. You need to feel safe, calm, and comfortable with that person. Otherwise, anything we talk about with you isn't going to be as effective. You have to start from that foundation. That is absolutely the most important part of any kind of work you do, right. any process. It's the starting point. But if you don't have that, it's not effective. So you will not hurt my feelings if you come work with me for two sessions. I tell people, this is good therapists have this kind of conversation. We say, hey, let's meet for a couple of times and then you let me know if if we you feel like you're or this right. is a good fit. And if it's not, you will not hurt my feelings. I understand. It doesn't mean that I'm bad. It's just you didn't feel that connection. That's okay. Um, so you have to potentially meet a few different people. You want to find the right person. That's the key. Absolutely. I'm just hearing so much hope for people with uh, those of us who've experienced trauma, hope for people with PTSD. And it's just such a pleasure to have you with us today. I would love to conclude our time together by asking you one last question. And that is, where are you seeing beauty 
in this season of your life? That is an amazing question. Thank you. And thank you for this time too, for, for being able to share. Um, I have, I think, a two-part answer. The first for me is always um, the beauty in God's creation. I'm reminded so much of how small we are in amidst everything that's amazing about the world that we live in. So I think sunsets, living in Colorado, I think we're very blessed. We can look and see the mountains, um, these kinds of things. So don't miss those opportunities. You have to be calm first. You have to help yourself get kind of calm and grounded. But then just how amazing life is. I just kind of get almost stupefied sometimes. It's almost like a Harry Potter spells put on me about the beauty in the world we live in. And it's it's difficult. It's a fallen world. It's not perfect. But there's still glimpses of what it's supposed to be, right? And how great it is. And so for me, you know, just a tree, a bird singing um, every day. Every day I find that. And I think the other thing is in the work I do, I re- I'm reminded how people overcome so many things in life. Um, I, I feel blessed that I get to see that in the work I do. And I wouldn't come to work every day and be able to speak as hopefully authoritatively, or at least with the wisdom that I've learned in what I do, that people are amazing. God's crown jewel of creation, us, as as he says in his word, you know, we're, we're so amazing. And so it, true. it really is. And so I'm inspired by people that don't give up, that realize their heart is still beating. And to use the dark humor mm. that many trauma survivors talk about, especially in the military, you're still vertical. You're still, there's still something for you to do. And I think finding that thing. What is that thing that brings you meaning and purpose? Whatever your beliefs, we all resonate with that. There's something for you to do and unresolved trauma keeps you from doing that. So I hope and pray that everybody can be inspired by this and other uh, resources through James Trail and wherever else you get that help. Um, Of course, we are set up to be that too. So please keep checking us out, right, for the things we are doing. And if we can help, we'd love to do that so that you can do that. You can move past and look forward instead of being anchored to the past. Absolutely. We here at James Trail would love to be a part of that community and having us pop up on your social media feed, you know, getting our newsletters, listening to these podcasts. We just want to come alongside everything that you're experiencing in a way that feels supported and um, I just thank you so much, Josh, for your for your time today, for your expertise. Thank you for your impact on this planet. And I'm so thankful that you're a, a part of our board and um, just the impact that you have and that we get to experience it firsthand. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Glad to be here. Part of James Trail. We have an amazing team here at James Trail, and our podcast is produced by Zach Lucero and marketing and copy by Liz Ramsdell. For more information, please check out our website at jamestrail.org. Guys, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. It makes a huge difference on where our podcast goes, who hears it, and make sure and share the podcast with the people that you think would be of of value to, of impact for. Thanks, guys.